Let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to go to the book of Philippians, chapter number 3. Philippians 3. And uh, we have been uh, walking through the book of Philippians on Sunday mornings. We come to uh, this passage of Scripture, which I make no uh, apology for. This is my uh, favorite passage of Scripture, uh, I think, in all of the Bible. And, and I know I say that a lot. The, this is one of my favorites. But seriously, this, this particular chapter, chapter 3, and especially these verses that we're looking at today, uh, are, are just verses of Scripture that God has so uh, deeply impressed upon my life. And I don't say that in a way uh, as to, to, uh, to boast, because honestly, uh, the opposite is true. Um, it, it, is not, it is not I. Uh, it, it, is not, it is not something that I have done. It's not some level of spirituality that I have reached. In fact, I am constantly reminded of my, my shortcomings and my failures in this area. But, but these verses of Scripture that we're going to read today really so perfectly describe what I believe the driving force is to be for every child of God. And that is that we would grow not just in our obedience to God, not just in the things that we do, not just in our holiness, all those things are important, but that we would grow moment by moment, day by day, and throughout the course of our life to know our God in a deeper way, to be able to actually identify with him and understand his heart and and know who he is and yield ourselves to his perfect will. And so last week we looked at the first nine verses of chapter 3 where, where Paul really is emphasizing that the life that is lived for Christ is not one that is dependent upon the flesh. In fact, uh, he even said in verse number 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And that is true when it comes to salvation. It is not ourselves, it is not our flesh that can save us. It is only Christ and Him crucified But that doesn't end at salvation. It's not like we got saved by the grace of God and now our sanctification is dependent upon us. It actually continues from that point forward. As much as I needed Christ in my salvation, I need Christ today and every day thereafter to live a life that is pleasing to Him. It is a continuing, ongoing process of my dependence and need for the Lord Jesus. And that that was the emphasis of verses 1 through 9, but I want to just back up for the sake of context. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. I'll let you remain seated, but verses 7 on forward, I want you to listen to these words and really just allow them to sink into your heart as we read these things. Look at verse number 7. It says, but what things were gained to me? Paul is talking about before Christ and who he was as a religious man. What things were gained to me? Those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend or lay hold upon that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. We're going to stop there. We'll get into those next verses in just a few moments. But I want you to notice as we kind of continue this flow of this passage of Scripture, what Paul is talking about here is that he had to, at the, at the time that he came to Christ, he had to let go of and abandon everything that he had been trusting in for his own righteousness, which was all about himself and his good works and his adherence to the law. He had to let go of that and understand, no, it is Christ and Christ alone that makes me righteous, that makes me right with God. And then he says, when I did that, I suffered the loss of all things. He he says, I I, I lost it all. What's he talking about? Well, Paul lost his position. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Now he was hunted by the Jews and hated by the Jews. Uh, He lost his prestige. He went from being a a, a well-known and well-respected man to now being someone who who was hated by his peers and mocked by those that he was trying to reach. He lost his, he had lost so many of his privileges as he spent his life now, he, had, he gave up uh, his wealth and his, uh, his possessions that he could go and pursue the life that God had called him to as he traveled about in different places and, and, and faced persecutions and difficulties and, and imprisonments and shipwrecks and poverty and all of these things so that he could fulfill the will of God. And he says, I, I, I gave all that up. But I'm not, he says, I'm not regretting these things. I'm not lamenting over the fact that I gave this up because he says, I count those things as dung. The things that that were gained to me, I count them loss. I I, I count them but dung. They, they, They mean nothing to me anymore. Power and prestige and privilege means nothing to me anymore because there's one thing that I'm living for and that is that I may know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know him. Now, so many of you know my testimony, and I won't take a whole lot of time to expound on it, but I would like to just kind of remind you, or maybe for the sake of those who aren't familiar with my testimony, uh, I was raised in a Christian home. I was saved at a pretty young age as a boy, and, and the Lord saved me. I can look back. I know that he did. I can see that there was a change in my heart. I can see God's hand of chastening throughout my life, which is evidence uh, of, of uh, the Spirit of God working in us. But I'll tell you, from that time that I got saved, and really until I was a young adult, 
I, I looked at my salvation as though that was dependent on Christ, but then everything else was dependent on me. And the reality of the situation was I did a lot of the right things and I said a lot of the right things and I, I even had a desire to some degree to do the right thing, but it was all about me and what I could do and, and, and very little about Christ and really walking with Him. And as a result of that, because I didn't realize my dependence on Him, I walked in the flesh and as, as you know what the Bible says about walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit, I began to fulfill the lusts of my flesh. And I got interested in the things of the world, curious about the things of the world. I got a bunch of friends that I shouldn't have had and I just drifted farther and farther and farther away from God in heart while outwardly much of, the, much of my life would have been you know, consistent with what a Christian ought to be. Inwardly, I was not right with God. And behind the scenes, I was doing a lot of things that I should not have been doing. And the problem was, as I drifted away from God, I became miserable, and I became full of doubt and confusion. Understand this, child of God, if you, if you want to have confidence and assurance in your relationship with God, you better have a walk with Him. If you're, if you're not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, if you're not faithful in your prayer life, if you're not in the Word of God, your, your lifeline, if you will, is, is cut off. And you're, you'll, you'll be all tangled up and twisted up. And that's what I had become. I was away from God, outwardly doing things that I knew I should do, but inwardly just struggling. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know that even the things that I've been taught are true? And God was breaking me down, and he brought me to this place of absolute desperation, spiritually, where I just didn't know anymore. I didn't know what to think, I didn't know what to believe, I didn't know where I stood, but there was one thing I knew. And, and, I, and I'm not saying this, again, to, to puff myself up. Please understand that this is only by the, the, the Spirit of God and by his grace. But this was one thing I knew. I want God. I want to know Him. And I remember at one point I was, I was working a, a job, I was working a security job, and, and I was sitting in my, in my car where I, I posted, sitting in my car and I had a Bible in my hands, and I remember holding it up and talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't even know. I don't know where I stand before you. I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't even know if, if everything I've been taught is true. But I know that I want to know you. And I said, I, I, I still have the Bible. I, I can remember it so distinctly. I, I remember holding it up and saying, Lord, for the first time in my life, I'm going to start reading this book so I can know you. And, and, and I'm just going to take you at what you say. And if that means I have to abandon everything that I've ever believed, I don't care. If it means that I need to get saved, then I want to get saved. If it means that I need to change in my doctrine, I don't care. I just want to know what you say. I want to know who you are because I want to know you. And that started a process in my life of several months of really seeking 
seeking the Lord and, 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 and crying out to God and, and, and the Lord working some things in my life and really giving me uh, assurance and, and establishing some convictions. But there's one thing that I carried away from that. And, and here's what it was. As long as I am seeking after Him, as long as my life is about knowing Him, everything else, nothing else matters. I just need to know him. And, and I remember coming to this passage of scripture, and particularly verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I remember reading that and just feeling uh, that this was my heart. This was my testimony. I want to know God. I want to know his power. I want it to be real in my life. Listen, the world is full of religious people that have no concept of the reality of a relationship with God. But I don't want to be one of them. I want to know him. I want to know him. I don't want to just be part of the Jesus fan club. I want to be his friend. I, I want his power to be real in my life. I, I want to have that communication, that fellowship with God, and that longing in my heart just cries out, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. And this is what Paul is saying. Listen, I've abandoned my flesh. I've abandoned my own strength. I've abandoned my wisdom because I'm pursuing the knowledge of God. But I want you to notice something, and this is where I think so many of us really depart from this. Because he says in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. Now, you might look at that and say, well, why, why is it? Why would someone say, what I really want in life is to suffer like Jesus suffered. You'd have to be crazy. I mean, nobody, nobody in their right mind would ever wish upon themselves pain, suffering, loss, grief, anguish. We don't want those things. We resist them. What do we pursue? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We want, we want freedom. We want ease. We want comfort. We want good things. We want leisure. This is what we naturally are drawn to. And so normally we would look at someone who says, I'm willing to embrace the sufferings of Christ. And we would say, you're crazy. You're out of your mind that you would wish this upon yourself. But here's what you have to understand. Paul had come to realize something. Here's what he had come to realize. If you notice verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. There is a lot packed into that verse. And we're going to get to some of that in just a moment. But let me say this. Here's what Paul had come to understand. If I want to know the power of Christ's resurrection, then I have to know the reality of his death. Because without his death, there was no resurrection. And here's the parallel between Christ's death and resurrection and the Christian life. Without death to self, there is no realization of the power of God in my life. As long as my life is all about me, my wants, 
my desires. I can know my strength. But until I come to really embrace the identifying with Christ and even suffering with Christ, even to the point of death, I'm not going to truly know that strength that only He can give, that strength that is made perfect in my weakness. And so Paul says, because I so desperately want to know Him, I'm readily embracing not just His power and not just His presence, but even His sufferings. You see, so often we want to emphasize the blessings of salvation, and certainly there are many, we sing of them, praising the Lord for His salvation that He gives to us, the forgiveness of sins, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the brethren. We're thankful for all of these things, but why is it then that we shy away from what comes with a life lived committed to Christ? We, 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 reject, we want to reject the cross... And, and expect to receive the blessings. And yet, there is this reality that is consistent through all the scriptures, especially the New Testament. That is this, that if we want to live a life set apart for the Lord, there is a purging process that takes place. There is a preparation, if you will, for a final day. There's a process through which God puts us. In the Old Testament, it's likened to the potter with the clay. Who takes that clay and he shapes it and he molds it and he breaks it down in order that he may shape it into what he wants it to be. In the New Testament, the concept is this. If we suffer with Him, we will be glorified with Him. Hold your place here in Philippians 3, if you would, but go back with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. And Romans 8 is about a life that's lived walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and I want you to notice, we're going to begin reading in verse number 15. It says here in verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And by the way, what, what a tremendous blessing to be able to call God our Father, that we've been adopted into His family. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. And again, if we stop right there, we say, Woo! Praise the Lord! Joint heirs with Christ. But we, we want to stop there, but that, it doesn't stop there. Because it says, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, as you embrace the realities of the suffering that sometimes comes in a life that is sold out to God, the sacrifices that are made, the reality, friends, of 
persecution. And it's the fact that we could even, as American Christians, talk about persecution. I mean, do you realize that as we sit here today in absolute freedom with no fear or concern of what's happening around the world, our brethren are facing the reality of, of, of dying. Let's see, we, we wake up in the morning and we say, well, do I want to go to church? Let's see, my, my elbow aches, I'm tired, I had a long week. Uh, they wake up on Sunday morning and they think, do I want to go to church? Because it could cost me my life. I could be ending this day in a prison cell. I'm just saying, folks, that there there is a reality that many of us are not even aware of, that that there there is this reality to a cost associated with following Christ. And while we want all the good things, we're thankful to be joint heirs with Christ. But so often we're unwilling to truly embrace and identify with Christ and be willing to say, Lord, whatever the cost is, I am all in because I want to know you. I want to be like you. I I, I don't want to live life for me anymore. I don't want to live it in my strength anymore. I want to live for you and let you go through me and work through me. Notice he says in verse number 19, he says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Verse 21, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Listen, think about this. Every time, listen, I've done literally hundreds of funerals in my life. I've buried friends and family and, and strangers. And one of the things that I am constantly reminded of is how short this life is and really how full of trouble it is. As I've tried to minister to families walking through times of, of grief and, 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 and hurt, there's just something inside of me that just says, Lord, when, are, when, are, when is this all going to be over? I've sat by the bedside of dear friends as they've passed into eternity I've personally experienced the the, the pain that's associated with losing a loved one to tragedy. And it hurts. And it's all a reminder that someday, someday, God's going to set everything straight. But in the meantime, we watch and we wait with expectation because... This life is full of pain. And so the creature itself is going to be delivered from the bondage of corruption. My my own flesh, my body. Listen, this is something that I've I've tried to empathize with older folks. I've not been where you are, but some of you deal with health problems on a daily basis and aches and pains that you just are, 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 you know, living life is just more difficult all the time. You know, 
I really believe that God has allowed that to be a reality in our lives as we age in order to prepare us to leave this life. You know, when you're 25 years old and you're in perfect health and everything's going great in life, you think, man, I don't ever want this life to be over. I don't ever want it to end. But there comes a point where more and more you're thinking about how good heaven's going to be. Am I right? I mean, I can't wait to be delivered, right? This is part of the process. It's it's actually a purging process where God is getting some of the love of the world out of us so that we can be more prepared to be in glory with Him. And this is even what it says in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. That groaning is there, and he likens it, he he says that that we groan and travail in pain. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. That that word travail is often used in the Bible in, in reference to a woman who is in labor pains. I've watched my wife now seven different times bring forth a child into the world. And one of the things that happens is the closer that she comes to actually bringing forth that child, the pain intensifies, the difficulty intensifies, and it's this preparation process, and it's working things out so that that baby can come, come into the world. And, 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 and yet, somewhere in that process, usually a woman starts to think, why did I sign up for this? And then, that child comes forth. New life is born. And what what the realization is, it was worth it all. Those pains were simply the necessary preparation to bring forth the completion of that which is wonderful and glorious. And friends, I hope you understand that the pain of this life is much like that. The worse and worse that the world gets, the harder and harder that your life becomes. It's preparation for a better day that is coming. Same is true as we anticipate and wait for Christ to be revealed in us. As we want so desperately for our, to get ourselves out of the way and allow Christ to live through me, then, then, then I have to be willing to say, you know what, that's going to take some pain and the Lord is going to have to put me through some things, quite honestly, that are preparing me that are purging me, that are working some things out of me. You know what my greatest problem in life is? The man in the mirror. And as the Lord works and causes, He even allows some suffering, some difficulty, some trial, some some pain in my life. You know what He's doing? He's working some me out of me so that He can be revealed in me. Don't expect to know the power of His resurrection if you don't know the fellowship of His sufferings. The two go hand in hand. Paul said in in Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
I want the resurrection power. Are you willing to embrace the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death? Are you willing to embrace and take the hardship that may come when you say yes to the Lord simply so that, like Paul, you can say that I may know him? And then as we read on in our passage of Philippians 3, he says that that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And then he even says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. And if you weren't careful, you might read this and think Paul is saying, you know, I'm, I'm striving, I'm living in such a way that one day I can inherit eternal life. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying I live the way that I live so that I can be saved in the end and I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. When he speaks of attaining unto the resurrection of the dead, I believe that this is twofold. One, on one hand, he's using the illustration of Christ's death and resurrection, and he's applying that symbolically to his life. But on the other hand, he's also expressing a reality that there is a future resurrection that awaits the child of God. If you are saved, you will be resurrected with him. And notice he even says in verse number 20, he says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, here's the reality. There is coming a day. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know that there is coming a day because God said it's coming in which Christ is going to return. And when he returns, that return is going to be signaled by the sound of a trumpet. And when that trumpet sounds, the Bible says that the dead in Christ, those who have died, who were saved, who knew the Lord, those who have died, they are going to be resurrected to meet the Lord. You say, well, I thought they were already with the Lord. The Bible teaches us that. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? And so in spirit... Their soul is with God. They are uh, awake and alert and in the presence of God as we speak. But their body still lies in the ground. Some of the the windows in my office face our cemetery across the road. And I think, this thought comes to me once in a while, that one day, I'm hoping, I'll just be sitting there in my office and look across the road and see some of of God's people caught up. Because you know what that means? When that happens, I'm right behind them. So it says that the, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. You say, well, what, what's the purpose of the resurrection if they're already with the Lord? Well, they are with the Lord, but their body is still in the state of corruption, this corruptible earth. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that the resurrection, this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, we shall be changed. And here's what's going to happen. The new body that we receive, it's not this physical body that gets sick and breaks down and has all these issues and problems and gets old. No, no, it's going to be an incorruptible body and it's going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Listen, this is the reality of the resurrection 
And it's not just about physical. It is physical. We will receive a new body. But here's the reality of it. One day, I will be changed to be just like my Savior. I'll be like Him. 1 John 3 tells us, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. When that day comes, I will no longer, not only will I no longer have to deal with the difficulties of the physical life that I live, but I will no longer struggle with sin. I will no longer struggle with selfishness. I will no longer struggle with the, 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 the problems of this life because for the first time ever in life, I will be like my Savior. That's what happens at the resurrection. I'll be like Him. I will be like Him. And so what is Paul saying? I, I am striving that I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. I have not yet reached the point that I will reach. I am not yet totally like my Savior. It hasn't happened yet. But what's he saying? I'm living life striving to be like my Savior. There's coming a day, the end of this chapter, who's going to change my vile body. Who's going to take care of that once and for all. But as I await that day, I am to be living with passionate pursuit. Not only to know Him, but to be like Him. To identify with Christ and be conformed to His image. Notice He even says in verse number... Uh, uh, 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend. That word apprehend means to lay hold on, to take hold of something. If that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. You say, what in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. When Christ saved me, he saved me for a purpose. You say, well, that purpose was so that I could go to heaven and not to hell, right? Well, in part. In part. But that's not the only purpose. That's not the only, that's not the only reason that you're saved. Romans 8.29 says, Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. 1 Peter tells us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He saved you so that he could make you like Jesus. That's why the Bible calls him the firstborn among many brethren. We are simply to follow in those footsteps. Now, there's coming a day when ultimately we will all, who know Christ, be like our Savior. But between now and that day, we're to be striving to apprehend that for which we have been apprehended. We are to be pursuing passionately that which God saved us for, that we would not be like we used to be, but that we would be like our Lord and our Savior. Now Paul knew that he had not yet reached a state of perfection, but it's interesting, is it not, that he says in verse number 15, let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. 
And when he uses that term, as many of us as be perfect, he's, he's referencing the reality of those of us who are saved are positionally perfect in Christ. I've got Christ's righteousness applied to my life. I'm saved. I'm perfect in him. But I am not yet perfect. I am not yet perfected. As long as I live in this vile body, I will still struggle with sin. I'll still struggle with my flesh. I'll struggle with my selfishness, with all my issues. But I am to be living and pursuing for, according to verse number 13 and 14, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. I've got to let go of the past. Got to let go of the past. That means, by the way, past failures, you've got to let go of them. You can't say, well, you know, I'll never be what God wants me to be because I've got all this baggage, I've got all these issues. No, 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 you can't live in the past. Christ died for those things. They're under the blood. Are you a new creature in Christ or not? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So you've got to forget those things which are behind, past failures, but also past successes. Well, I used to. There was a time. No, no, no. You've got to forget those things which are behind and reach forth unto those things which are before. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is language that, that is in reference to someone who's running a race and pressing forward with one intention, one goal. I am pressing, I'm running toward that final prize. And then he says this, listen, verse 15, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Christian friend, this is where this becomes a problem. Because it's one thing to say, well, Paul was Paul. And well, that, that man of God and that woman of God, they, that, they're different, but not me. That's not for me. I, I, I'm glad to just get by. I'm, just, I'm, gl I'm glad to be saved. I'm glad to know I'm going to heaven. Listen, he says, if you're perfect, if you've been saved, if you've been made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ... This needs to be your mind and your heart. To know him and to be like him. And he even says, And if, if, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. In other words, if you're not living with this mindset, God's going to be showing that to you. I can't help but think that there are some people maybe sitting here today where God's just kind of eating your lunch. The Holy Spirit's working on you, saying, you know what? You're not, you're not living your life this way. You're not living your life in pursuit of God. Notice, he says in verse 16, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Listen to this. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies 
of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. You know, most Christians that I've known over the years would say, if if they're being real honest with you, well, you know, I'm not really focused on the things that I should be. But I mean, I'm, I, you know, I, I want God to be pleased with me. I don't want to be, I don't want to live a life that's not pleasing to the Lord. I, I want to see people saved. I want to see the church grow. I want to, you know, I want to be part of that. But I mean, you know, I'm busy with life, right? I'm working a lot. My, my family, my kids are in sports and it just takes, takes a lot of time and, my business is, you know, I'm trying to get it going and growing. And maybe one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to really buckle down and focus. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm for it. Pastor, I'm behind you. These are some hard words, but, but listen to this. He describes these people as enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, that means that they just live for whatever they want, and whose glory is in their shame. And then he tells us who they are, who mind earthly things. He said, well, I'm a little bit carnally minded, I'm a little bit focused on just making money or enjoying my life, but I'm I'm pro-Christ. not what he said he said if you're minding earthly things if you're living for the things of this world that spirit that attitude that that's that's you're an enemy of the cross of christ do you know it's possible to be saved and to be an enemy of the cross of christ what did he say he said friendship with the world is enmity with god these are pretty hard hard words But he says in verse number 20, for our conversation is in heaven. That that word conversation, that's that's an old English word that means more than just the words coming out of our mouth. It means our conduct, it means our lifestyle, and in some cases it can even mean our citizenship. Uh, A week from tomorrow, a couple of us are going to be, or a few of us are going to be taking a trip to Panama and Ecuador. We're going to go there, we're going to stand out like a sore thumb. Because we look different, we talk differently, we think differently. Because we're not from there. So we don't blend in there. Our conversation is not of those places. What does your conversation say about you? It says our conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior. Do you realize, child of God... That you are not of this world? There's something to be different about you? Are you living life saying, Lord, I just want to know you and I want to be like you? One of the hardest things to pray sincerely, but I believe it's a prayer that every Christian ought to pray, is this. Do whatever it takes. 
to make me more like you. Whatever it takes. That I may know 